0: Greetings, this is Mind Matter News, and I am your full-figured host, Robert J. Marks. You know, Isaac Newton was the genius that founded classical physics. He also invented calculus. He also did other things. Newton was a student of the Bible, specifically Bible prophecy, and he wrote extensively on his research. Newton also dabbled in alchemy. Now, most think of alchemy as the quest to turn lead into gold, but... There's a lot more to alchemy than doing this. Some in alchemy pursued creation of a so-called homunculus. Homunculus is a little person created in a test tube, kind of like. If you watch the 1935 classic monster movie, The Bride of Frankenstein, you see a, a scene where the mad scientist, Dr. Pretorius, shows off his homunculi. I think that's the plural of homunculus. He shows off his uh, homunculi to Henry Frankenstein. Uh, No one to date has created the alchemist's dream of a homunculus, and if you exclude maybe cloning, I don't think that they probably ever will. The search for the homunculus today has been replaced by a search for artificial general intelligence, or AGI, artificial general intelligence. Terms keep changing in a rapidly evolving field. AGI used to be called hard artificial intelligence. There's some that actually have a split uh, definition, but we're we're just going to stick with artificial general intelligence. Uh, By any name, the search for artificial general intelligence will prove as useless as the search for the homunculus. Not everybody shares this opinion. That includes Elon Musk. That includes Stephen Hawking. But... Even so, there is a growing evidence AGI will never be achieved. What does AGI do? AGI seeks to duplicate and exceed what you and I do. If artificial general intelligence is achieved, some say we will become pits of computers. There are some who worry that AI will begin to write better and better AI. The point where AI becomes superior to humans is called the singularity by Google's Ray Kurzweil. If this happens, watch out. AI will write better software that writes better software that writes better software in an endless staircase of ever increasing intelligence. And there are smart people who believe this will happen. But AGI is not happening and there's growing evidence it never will. AI can be written to mimic many human traits but there are some human characteristics that will never be duplicated by AI. We cover this a lot on Mind Matters news. Properly defined, these include these properties that will never be achieved include creativity, sentience, and understanding. In fact, AI seems to be going in the opposite way. More and more human expertise is being folded into the AI software. The added intelligence in AI is not due to AI. But is due to human creativity and ingenuity infused in the software by the programmer. To talk about these things, our guest today is Dr. Justin Bowie. Justin is a freshly mined PhD from my research group at Baylor University, and he specializes in, among other things, artificial intelligence and deep learning. Justin, welcome.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for having me on the show, Bob.
0: Great. Uh, Before we go into some trends in artificial intelligence, what I'd like to do is describe the playing field that you have been watching. And I think anybody that is involved in the development of artificial intelligence is familiar with these resources. There is, of course, the literature and there's a vast literature in AI But in computer software, there's a heck of a lot more incredible resources. There there, there are incredible resources available on the web, many related to AI. And the incredible part is most of these are free. So first, let's talk about the software, Justin. AI software is widely available. It's free and it's powerful. It's available to anyone on the net could you go through some of the AI software and some of the things that this AI software that's available for free does?
1: Yeah, sure. It's, it's, it's an interesting playing space. Uh, you know, there it, it seems like every day there's a new tool that comes out that makes everybody's lives just a little bit easier. You know, the, the big ones of course are, are PyTorch and TensorFlow both being driven by, by Facebook and Google respectively. Um, and they, they make up, I believe it's, it's upwards of, of, Probably 75 to 80 percent of a lot of the machine learning systems out there, if not more, they just they're very easy to use. It's it's tremendous development, and the amount of, of available resources associated with these tools is, is phenomenal. You know, um, and the and kind of going hand in hand with that is the use of kind of free web resources. A lot of systems out there provide free computational resources, basically virtual machines that anybody can sign up for and use. They can design, deploy, evaluate uh, any machine learning model that they would like. You know, and it's it's actually quite interesting to see how prevalent some of these systems have become.
0: Yeah, this, this is really interesting. One, one of the fascinating things is the free available computation. AI, like uh, deep neural networks, for example, can take a long time to train and uh, so you're, you're crunching the computer again and again and again. And yet there is available fast software resources available on the web to allow you to do this in the cloud. And that's um, that, that, that to me is just amazing that people are making this available for free. Uh, there's also something called Fast AI. What, what is Fast AI?
1: So Fast AI is kind of a wrapper for PyTorch um, with a lot of pre-built models um, so it's it's meant for kind of rapid proof of concept testing if you will uh, it takes advantage of a lot of transfer learning techniques where um, just an you know kind of normal we'll call them everyday person but really anybody can can pick up a, a jupyter notebook or you know a little bit of python code and follow along on one of their tutorials and effectively deploy like a classification model or a regression model uh, it's really meant to help speed up the initial proof of concept for a lot of these model development processes—it's
0: kind of an interface in a way, is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I think a good way to, to classify it would be a, like a high-level wrapper almost. But it, again, it lets you take advantage of some of the work that's already been done, and you know that ultimately cuts down on somebody's development cycle.
0: So, PyTorch—that the Py is for Python. Python is a computer language that's available for free. Everybody can use it, right?
1: Correct. Yeah. it's a, yeah. Torch itself is actually built on Lua, um, which for those that are perhaps more intimately familiar is, is a scripting type language. And so PyTorch is, is you're right though, the Python high-level wrapper for the Lua interface that, that is Torch.
0: Okay. What sort of stuff can you do with all this free software? Um, maybe all specifically some of the stuff we see in the news today.
1: Oh yeah, sure. I mean, that all of these tools have High-level uh, code wrappers for um, doing custom layer development. So, you, of course, you've got convolutional layers, which, which for those that are familiar, go into convolutional neural networks. You have transformer layers, which are gaining popularity. And
0: can can I interrupt you just for a second? What is a wrapper uh, for the general audience here?
1: Or... Good question. So, a wrapper is kind of just like a high-level function call. Uh, it's it's a chunk of code that that ultimately makes deploying something. More complex, very easy. You could think of it kind of as like a, a super function in a way.
0: I see. So you might you might have software, and you go build the pyramids, and you click yes, and the py- pyramids are built. Something very very big happens.
1: Exactly. It'd be something like build a pyramid.
0: And, uh, <laughs> okay.
1: You know, all the all the hard stuff is done uh, under underneath the hood, so to speak.
0: Okay. So you you were talking about some of the stuff that you can do. Uh, with all of this free available software and all of this free available computational space.
1: Yeah. So um, yeah, of course. So, so, like I mentioned previously, you have, you have, you know, convolutional layers, you have recurrent layers, which are, you know, things like LTS, you know, LTSMs, um, that add a little bit of memory, so to speak to, to the neural network um, transformers, as I mentioned previously as well. Um, and, and a whole bunch of combinations in between. Um, and it's with, these high-level layer calls, if you will, uh, it really lets you get creative with the architecture. Um, you can you can combine different techniques into this. I guess you can consider it an amalgam of uh, different neuron types uh, with different inputs and outputs, and you can kind of create this this hydra-looking uh, system, if if you will, where it can take various inputs and create various outputs. It, and it, And it's really great because it, it lends itself to um, this, this creative model development through its flexibility. And both of these tools al- allow that to happen. And you kind of see this, this competition back and forth. You know, it's, it's been interesting to follow along as, as these tools develop. You know, when I started doing a lot of my research, uh, TensorFlow 2.0 was was still relatively new. Was, I believe it was still in beta, actually. And uh, most recently, I believe they're, they're up to stable release 2.6. Uh, PyTorch, I believe, in a similar fashion... Was at about 1.2 at the time when I started my research, and, and most recently their stable release is 1.9. So you're seeing some some pretty heavy iteration improvements in these tools, and uh, it's great because it's it's driving a lot of the the AI and machine learning development. You know, kind of going hand in hand with with deployment of these tools is you're seeing more and more of these free resources that you've mentioned before becoming available. Um, and and I kind of view them as a, a mix of things. One, it it gets the tools in the hands of people to experiment and and to learn.
0: Now, the interesting thing that this is available to anybody in the world, the, our, all of our adversaries in the United States, at least politically, militarily, like China, Iran can plug in, get this free software and do all this artificial intelligence and do it all for free.
1: Yeah, that that's right. It's, you know, kind of a double-edged sword in a way, but, uh, you know, I think in an, in an ideal world, anyways, what you're doing is you're providing the masses with the tools and the opportunities to to kind of push the envelope forward. And um, I think it's a good thing because it it makes the accessibility and the learnability of the techniques, you know, much more grounded. Uh, you know, whereas before it was pretty heavily academic and, and very computationally intense and required a lot of subject matter expertise, you know, a lot more of the innovation now is kind of who, who can get to the finish line first kind of deal. So it should, it should in a way, encourage some more competition. Uh, you know, there is one caveat, of course, the free resources is that they are constrained. Most systems, you're typically limited to a fixed number of training or running hours. You get a fixed amount of memory, which uh, if you think about, you know, I think most systems provide between two and 16 gigs of RAM to use, uh, which sounds like quite a bit. I mean, most people probably have 16 or 32 uh, gigs of RAM on their personal computers. But if you're loading a data set that contains, uh, you know, say 150 gigabytes of DICOM data, for example, uh, or other medical data, well, that's, that's not going to fit in memory. And, and you'll find out very quickly that these systems break.
0: However, if, if you do have the resources of computation and memory by yourself, you can download the software and run it in your system with basically limitations, which are totally dictated by your resources that you have locally, right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Um, that's one of the nice things about the the open source uh, tools is that you know if you if you want to build yourself a, a small super cluster and with a couple terabytes of RAM and a whole bunch of processors, you're of course welcome to do that, and you have. Almost no limitations, other than making sure that you have uh, compatible drivers and, and that all of your your system software plays nicely.
0: You know, um, I was thinking of some of the specific things in the news that can be done with this software. One of them is deep fakes. Can you do deep fake uh, images and videos with the software?
1: You can, yeah. Um, in fact, there's uh, a system out there uh, called Kaggle, which which I believe we'll, we'll dive probably mention again. And
0: oh yeah, let's let's talk about what what is Kaggle. So
1: Kaggle's it's it's actually owned by Google uh, I believe they were acquired somewhat recently and it's a open source platform that provides computational resources to uh, data scientists machine learning engineers or, but of course anyone has access to it if you have an email you can get access to it uh, and it but it's a it's a website that allows people to post competitions so there are a lot of design competitions uh, of various types um, so there's like image classification like stock price prediction, housing price prediction, a couple of different things that kind of just highlight the industry in general. And um, they kind of have modernized the the open source resource sharing, community driven AI push, if you will. Uh, And it's been very interesting, you know, that I've spent some time perusing on their forums and reading through the discussions and taking a look at some of their competitions and yeah people get very creative. It's kind of fun to watch as a spectator and and see you know how people approach problems and and you know what what techniques do they try if if things aren't successful, do people share that experience or do they kind of brush it under the rug and move on?
0: You know, I remember from a uh gosh, a long time ago that Netflix put out this competition to come up with software that when given user data, such as data from you or me, could figure out the sort of things we would like to watch. In other words, things to suggest for us to watch. And they offer big cash prizes for that. Um, Kaggle does this also, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. So um, it's interesting because they're they're more of a A host system uh, where anybody could could throw a competition up there. Um, One example is uh, the NFL has a helmet detection competition going on right now. It's it's in cooperation with uh, Amazon Web Services.
0: Okay, wait, NFL helmet detection?
1: Yes, yeah. So what they're trying to do is develop a system that can detect and track helmet locations for players. Uh, And what what they're really getting at is being able to detect illegal hits, like targeting, for example, um, by tracking helmets and and detecting when there's helmet to helmet collision. So part of it's player safety, but they're looking at ways to automate this, right? Because, you know, if you think about a a human in the system, right, a referee has to watch how much of the field, right? Well, really all of it. Uh, So they miss some things from time to time. And when you think about it from a player safety perspective, you want to be minimizing or ideally completely eliminating some of those some of those rough shots, and the thought is that you know if you developed an AI system to be able to do that, you could shift that burden, um, so to speak.
0: I see. So this is an ongoing competition right now, and do they supply data to train the neural network or the AI with?
1: Yes, they do. Um, AWS has provided several gigs of video files of image files. Um, they've even provided some example code from previous competitions, and uh, the, the prize is, is $100,000 split across, I, I believe it's the top eight, but it's, it's, it's a pretty large prize purse. And, and I think if you follow the competition's history, because this is uh, several years in the running now, they wanted a system that could do everything, uh, but they pretty soon realized that getting a system that could do everything was pretty challenging. So they said, okay, let's let's dumb down the problem. Let's start with helmet recognition and helmet tracking. You know, if you can start with that, you know, you eventually you could build up to a system that could detect, you know, helmet to helmet collisions or, or you know stuff like that. And so uh, it, it kind of harkens quite nicely to the the AGI competition, right? So I think the thought was that the system would create this kind of like master referee that could watch every player on the field track locations, detect illegal hits, et cetera. Uh, But people are realizing, well, turns out that's a lot harder
0: than we thought. I can also see this being used by people such as neuroscientists to study the impact of these collisions on brain development. We had a guest in a podcast a, a while back named Yuri Danilov, who was a neuroscientist did did just fascinating work. And he said his indication was that all football games were just terrible. And he refused to let his kids play football until his oldest son finally did get on a team. And I said, well, what happened? I thought you forbade it. He said, "I I was outvoted. So his kid literally played football. But I could see tracking this in real time would be really interesting, because you could measure, for example, the acceleration of the helmet. You could do the, um, but let me get a little nerdy here. I, I think in beginning physics, everybody talks about distance, velocity, acceleration. And then I, I learned when I was working for Boeing that each one of those is related by a higher derivative in calculus. So you start with the distance, you get the velocity, you get the acceleration. And then what is the derivative of acceleration? It's something called jerk and if your acceleration changes really quickly, you have a jerk associated with you. And I could see being used with um, a- a- AGI in order to monitor jerk, which I think that neuroscientists would find very interesting in terms of uh, tracking potential brain damage. And then the cool part is the derivative of jerk is snap. The derivative of, of, of snap is crackle, and the derivative of the other one is pop. That sounds really, really strange. But they could also monitor snap, crackle, and pop. But the the prize for this is a hundred thousand dollars. That's that's not minimal. Who is involved in this? Is it universities? Is it companies? Is it both?
1: You know that's that's the one thing um, about platforms like Haggle is it. It really is anybody. Anybody who wants to participate can join. So uh, I think, from my observation, it's a lot of individuals, or, or you know, you can you can actually join teams and, and coordinate across across the world, really, if you'd like. There's several teams that are multinational, but um, it, it's really you know anybody's open to it. And I think the, the the larger thing to take away from that is it's it's crowdsourcing the development, so to speak. So you you can in a way. Fork up what sounds like a pretty significant amount of money, but in the grand scheme of things, from a company perspective, is relatively small, and get uh, you know, basically unrestricted access to the IP that's developed, basically for for cheap, you know.
0: Wow, that is really interesting. Th- these these are companies which are kind of, if you will, outsourcing their R and D to competitions and probably getting results a lot cheaper than hiring a bunch of experts and trying to tackle the problem, you know, locally. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Wow. So that works very, very well. You know, one of the things you mentioned to me, Justin, which I I appreciate by the way, Kaggle is K-A-G-G-L-E. So it's Kaggle.com for anybody that wants to take a look at it. You mentioned to me um, that in monitoring these things on Kaggle, that you saw not a an advancement of AGI, but in way a kind of reversal of the AGI. Could you could you repeat what you told me about that?
1: Yeah, sure. I, I think to summarize it, you know, what we're seeing is is like you said, it's a one eighty. You're you're really seeing almost this hyper specificity in a lot of the applications. Um, if you go through and you observe. A lot of the competitions that have that have closed, where where many of the competitors have have shared their code, you see a lot of evidence of transfer learning. So of course there, there's some network reuse and stuff.
0: Wait, just 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 elaborate just a a second on um, transfer learning.
1: Oh yeah, sh- sure. So with transfer learning, you take an existing system, an existing neural network, and you uh, basically Discard some of the weights and biases. So you take some of the some of the trained network and you you let it forget some of the information, uh, and then you apply it to a new a new data set. It's really common in like object detection and image classification networks, where with these very deep uh, neural networks, you have say maybe the bottom four or five layers, uh, the ones closest to the output. Uh, they're kind of they, they they wipe their memory so to speak, and train it on the new data. And so you have the, the core detection layers uh, up top, which have been trained and tested and verified, uh, being reused, uh, but on a new set of data. Uh, it's, it's a pretty common technique um, and it, it produces some really great results. And, and that's one of the things that you see a lot with some of the Kaggle competitions is like a VGG or a ResNet being used for for top layers then maybe a little bit of customization on the, on, the, on the bottom side.
0: Here's the way I kind of understand transfer learning. Suppose that you had a neural network that was trained on dogs, that you were trained this neural network to detect dogs, and you would have to spend a heck of a lot of time figuring out this neural network and training this neural network to recognize dogs. Now you want to come along and you want to classify cats well, it turns out that, mm, you know, classifying cats is kind of similar to classifying dogs. So why would you have to go back and start again at scratch? Why couldn't you use part of that dog neural network to train the cat neural network? And the art of doing that is referred to, I believe, as transfer learning. Is, is that is that fair?
1: Yeah, that, that's a great example. Um, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, hey, why reinvent the wheel when I have a system That gives me 85% of a wheel. And so, yeah, you're spot on.
0: Okay, good, good. You know, despite all of these uh, challenges with AGI and your observation that it's kind of going the other way, maybe we're making, waiting for a new theoretical breakthrough, which I don't think will ever be achieved. But nevertheless, there are people that believe that we are making steps towards AGI. And uh, there are those that believe that indeed this is going to happen. Now, George Gilder, who is one of the co-founders of Discovery Institute, and just a genius in terms of economic and business commentary and forecasting, says that this dream that these software engineers have is is something which could be called rapture of the nerds. <laughs> I like that because it takes it takes a lot of faith to believe that we're going to get there. One of these companies which is just overtly into promoting this is OpenAI. That's the company that bought us GPT-3 and they claim they are pursuing AGI. And I looked up their mission statement and it included the following. This is this is a quote: We will attempt to directly build safe and beneficial AGI, but we'll also consider our mission fulfilled if our work aids others to achieve this outcome. So they definitely believe in this. They have faith that computers will eventually develop AGI. I, I always thought that was very interesting. Now, you and I had talked a little bit about why these software engineers believe that AGI is is achievable. I mean, these are guys which are really, really intelligent, and they believe that uh, the AGI is indeed achievable. And one of the reasons, I think, is because in terms of AGI operations, such as understanding and creativity and sentience, that they don't understand it's not algorithmic. They, they haven't gotten to the computer science and the word that I used for this was a so-called keyboard engineer. These are people that when they're looking for a solution, don't sit down and look at the theory. Rather, they go directly to the keyboard. You had some interesting comments on that. Could you elaborate on that?
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that... that uh some of some of my colleagues and I have have jokingly referred to as, as stack Overflow engineers it's a, a very similar concept right but it's uh,
0: uh, okay stack overflow that's a website right
1: correct yeah it's a it's a forum where where uh, people can post errors or issues that they're having with their code and, and it's kind of a, a community sourced solution uh, house if you will um, but it, it's pretty funny because uh, some of the colleagues i've had throughout the years have have joked about okay hey we just got this problem let me go let me go check stack overflow really quick uh you know chances are somebody's done it before i'll just reuse it you know and so i think that feeds into into some of the the agi belief as well right you know oh well you know open ai has produced xyz uh, neural networks and oh hey you know Google when Google's uh, brain team have published on ABC works and you know if we can just if we can start merging these together you know the system will just become kind of super intelligent and and you know so I think in some regards it, it's fed a lot by what people are observing from the major companies and and some of the major influencers like you had mentioned Elon Musk uh before you know you have some some very popular people that are that are promoting I, dare i say preaching some of these these ideas and beliefs and um people kind of latch on to that you know it was funny you know what because when i think of hei you know i kind of think of like how 9000 or skynet or you know I, for those of you that that are more into movies more recent you know ultron you know these systems that seemingly have limitless resources and infinite knowledge and obviously evil intentions you know, i think that's one of the things that the uh, helps capture people's attention and their, and their creativity as well, you know, but I think at the end of the day, Bob, like you said, it, it, you know, people just, they go straight to the keyboard. You know, they don't sit down, think about how to approach a problem. You know, how do we solve it from the theory perspective and then start deploying it? It's really more, well, okay, I need to go make a classifier that tells me the difference between kumquats and Giraffes, and they just sit down and start coding.
0: And so they they import these things and download this software and use this software kind of as a black box without looking at the deeper theory of how it is created and uh, the computer science of where where it came from and the and the possibilities of doing. Uh, AGI in the future. They don't address some of the things we talk about on Mind Matters News. They don't address the Lovelace test for creativity, which has never been demonstrated in artificial intelligence. They don't talk about even simple uh, counter arguments like Searle's Chinese Room about understanding. And as a, resu- as a result of this, they're, I-, I don't know, we're guessing here, aren't we?
1: Yeah, in a way.
0: Yeah, we're, we're guessing, but it seems to me that they possibly don't understand, or at least maybe they've just blocked out this idea that AGI uh, can't be achieved. Um, really great points. Okay, any final comments? Well, yeah,
1: actually, I, I did kind of want to build a little bit on that too. I think I think in some regards, uh, you know, AI and machine learning, they've, they've become catchphrases throughout the world where, you know, it, it, I used to joke that, you know, AI is, is very similar to the word synergies uh, in the business world, right? Synergies. Everybody wants synergies. Uh, the new thing is everybody wants machine learning. They don't necessarily understand what it is. It's kind of like you had said, it's a black box. Let's wave our hands over it. Let's see some results. Are they the results we want to see? Great. We now have machine learning <laughs> and it's uh, it's not that easy, um, you know, but I think a lot of the drive um, and a reason why a lot of keyboard engineers are uh, have a lot of success in in their careers and and gain a lot of influences. Um, They're able to produce those results, uh, which businesses see and they like. And um, it kind of feeds into this system of like, okay, hey, this person's achieved these results. This company's using machine learning. Well, maybe our company can use machine learning. Let's go do the same thing. And the focus all of a sudden becomes, you know, the the material goal, right? Uh, A little bit less about, Let's create a, a, a perfect system. More about hey, let's create the system that provides us the best the best benefit. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things that really feeds into to the keyboard engineer uh, mentality as well. Is is sometimes you don't get the freedom to sit down at a whiteboard and say okay, hey, how do I how do I approach this problem from a theoretical standpoint, from a high level concept standpoint before I start writing code. You know, typically it's I was just handed an assignment, I've got two weeks to do it. I'm going to go to my keyboard and and start writing some code.
0: Okay, that's fascinating. You know, I think there, there's a little bit of um, walk back on the idea of AGI. I did a um, a interview with George Gilter, who is neighbors with C- Ray Kurzweil and good friends. Ray Kurzweil, of course, is the one that introduced the idea of the singularity and was a big proponent of AGI. And Gilder says he's noticed recently that Kurzweil has begun to backtrack a little bit on AGI and its uh, implementation. And the problems, I don't know, there's there's a bunch of problems associated with AGI. Uh, number one is in the arguments about it, people are using seductive semantics. They say AI will be creative or have understanding with or be sentient without really defining what these mean. Uh, they're using seductive semantics. And... In order to discuss those, you have to you have to be careful in defining them. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. And I have little little faith that AGI will ever be achieved. And what I was going to say is that AGI has to be defined, and the way that we're defining is the ability to duplicate what human beings do. There will be a lot of stuff AG or artificial intelligence will do, which is a lot better and a lot more impressive than humans would be. Heck, that happened when they came out with the calculator. Calculator does a lot that that uh, I'm unable to do and does it much more quickly. Okay. Thank you, Justin. Those were really good points. Our guest today has been Dr. Justin Bui, and I thank him for his valuable insights, and I've learned a lot from him. So until next time on Mind Matters News, be of good cheer. This has been
1: Mind Matters News with your host, Robert J. Marks. Explore more at mindmatters.ai. That's mindmatters.ai. Mind Matters News is directed and edited by Austin Egbert. The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the speakers. Mind Matters News is produced and copyrighted by the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute.